0: John chapter 15, verses four through seven, it says, abide, everybody say abide. That means to live, to dwell, to make your residence at, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He didn't say you may be the branch. He said you are the branch. He's already got great faith in you. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. For apart from me, he can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And our verse of Scripture from the last series is Luke chapter 15, verse 31. And the Father said to the Son, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. So it's already yours if we stay abiding in him. We just read, we can ask whatever we wish, and it will be done. God has set you up for victory and a destiny. Can I get an amen? amen. He's already set you in plans and purposes that, that are greater than your comprehension. And I'm ready for that to be revealed to you this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, reveal to us the fullness of our destiny. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You can be seated this morning. And we want you to know that here at TWBC, when you come into this sanctuary, this auditorium, that you are not a project that we're looking at to fix. You are a person that we love and love just the way you are. I love the story of the woman with the issue of blood because God still used a woman even though she had an issue. Can I get an amen? Amen. God can use you no matter what state of life you're in. If you come in and get planted, I don't know what you went through yesterday, but God can change it today and he can begin to use you. So we're not looking at you as a project to be fixed. What we are looking to do with you is bring you into a place that we call home, where the presence of the Father is. And where the presence of the Father is, we know that transformation always occurs, not because we're so great, but because he loves us so much. So we want you to come into a place that we call home where the presence of the Father can reside in every area of your life. And as we're in this series called Abide, and the title of this morning's message is Before Kings, what is the purpose of this whole series, Abide? What is the purpose of us being in this series, and what are we trying to accomplish? The purpose of Abide is this, is to get us well acquainted with the culture of heaven, it is to get us well acquainted with the culture of heaven. The things that Jesus said in Matthew six ten. he said, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done, or your culture come, your culture be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And Christians are great about praying that prayer. The problem is we have not become familiar enough with the culture of heaven to recognize it when it wants to manifest here on this earth. So the purpose of this series is to get so much into the presence and the power and the culture of heaven that when we're in it here and we begin to work in it out there, we begin to be the the avenue that God works through to bring the culture of heaven to this earth here and begin to change your workplace on a Monday morning. Can I get an amen? So the purpose of this series is for us to get well acquainted with the culture of heaven. And Jesus said it best. And so the culture of heaven has to be more than a moment. It's got to be more than a moment. When you got born again, you had a moment. And for some of you, that moment was amazing, spectacular, and, and and the joy of it lasted for about three months and then it began to fizzle. And for some of us, it lasted about a week and it began to fizzle. For some of you, you did better. It lasted about a year. But the problem is, in the course of eternity, it's just a moment. The culture of heaven being manifested in this earth has to be more than a moment. We must start it with a moment, stay in the presence of God so it turns into a movement that abides. If we cannot make moments into movements, a moment is great and lives are changed and souls are saved. But if we can turn a moment into a movement that abides, God doesn't just change a moment. He changes society, he changes a nation, and he changes a culture. There is an imperative uh, demand and mandate on the church, the the people of God, to not just have a moment in his presence, but when his presence shows up, facilitate it in such a great way that it becomes a movement. If we're going to talk about a greater scope of living, which is changing cultures and societies, cultures are not changed overnight. Cultures are changed. When a new standard is set for a prolonged period of time, that everything begins to operate like this new standard in over a decade. A culture notices, people begin to notice a culture that's starting to change. Over a 50-year time period is how you can see that a culture has truly changed. And so I'm not looking to start something at TWBC that's a week-long revival, I'm looking to usher in the kingdom of God that, start, that starts in a moment, that develops into a movement, that changes a culture, that transforms society. This isn't a one-hit wonder. This isn't an overnight success story. This is about the next 50 years of our life at TWBC, changing cultures and societies here in Northeast Texas and around the world. Amen. Come on now. I want you to understand the scope of what we're talking about. So much so you're going to hear me say it every message in this series. Because by the time you're sick of it, you're just now getting it. Come on. And if you're sick of hearing it, think much how, how sick I am of saying it. Amen. I'm not sick of saying it yet because, oh, it inspires me to change a culture, to transform a society. That our kids can grow up in a place and say, my life is better because that church is in Sulphur Springs, Texas. And I want Sulphur Springs to say this. If our church disappeared tomorrow, there would be a vast void, a black hole in this area because we are such an impact. If that doesn't happen, we're ineffective as a church. But as our church grows and flourishes and the kingdom of God manifests, I want Sulphur Springs to say our city is better because of that church is here. That That church is changing our city, not that city is changing our church. I'm talking impacting cultures, changing societies. And so that is the purpose of this series called Abide. And as we talked last week, we talked about, or two weeks ago, we talked about the seven mountains of influence. We talked about the things that have great uh, bearing on the church, but we always look at it as, oh my gosh, the things of the world are influencing the church, when we need to look at it as, oh my goodness, the church has the power to influence these seven mountains in society. Why are you always looking at it from from the impossible situation? My God said all things are possible to those who believe. And and my greatest gift that God has ever given me is this naive optimism that he'll really do all he said he would do. And I'm going to believe him to the end on it. And I'm going to watch him do it. And I'm grateful for it. And so we struggle with these seven mountains. These seven mountains, are, are, they're labeled as family, as religion, as economy, as education, as government, as arts and media, as science and technology. And these seven mountains of influence, they have great bearing on the church. But what if the church could flip the script and have great bearings on these seven mountains of influence where where, where we get the church truly involved in restoring families and we change the culture of your family, where your family used to be known as the, the drunkards and the prostitutes and the ones who are always in marriage crisis and the ones who are always having kids kids that are rebellious, and we change the structure and the culture of your family, and we say, look at what the Lord has done, and we've influenced that mountain of your family, and we begin to change your society of influence. God's into changing families. I was talking with a staff member the other day about a certain family, how we saw them when they came in several years ago in the worst of the worst situations. And today they are such a staple, stronghold family in this church that God is using in a mighty way. And it doesn't happen because of great preaching and great worship. It happens because they came in, got planted, and abided in the presence of God. And they let the church influence their mountain. Rather, the mountain influence the church that they went to. Amazing success stories with families. Your religion. Some of you have got to take God out of this box. you got to take him out. We can say he's the God of all mankind, and there's nothing too hard for him until it comes to your electric bill. (laughs) Come on now. I'm just saying. Take him out of your box. We must influence. We must let our our religious activities, Sunday morning worship service, be influenced by the culture of heaven. If God can't start it in the church, he definitely can't use us outside the church. God's going to start it with the house of him, the house of God, the economy. What if we had a great effect on our economy that we became so amazing in the way we steward money and do things that we were able to pour great amounts of wealth into our city because we're living in a godly, principled fashion, lifestyle. Listen, this doesn't happen overnight. It happens over decades. But if it's going to happen over decades, you better start today. Okay, because if you start tomorrow, you just pushed your decade off one day. Let's start today. The same thing with government. How many of you want to have an influence on the government? Thank you, Jesus. Come on now. Yes. Enough said. Arts and media. Why don't you use social media for the blessing of the kingdom rather than the venting of everything you want to do? And it's funny, since I mentioned that about three, three Sundays ago, I've had more opportunities to vent and want to throw it out on social media than I ever had before. And I was like, uh-uh, I ain't falling into that trap. I just keep on driving. Amen. <laughs> And most of y'all want to vent when you're driving, okay? So if you just put your phone down, listen to me saying that, put your phone down when you're driving, you change things. Science and technology, what if we were able to do an amazing thing in the kingdom of God because uh, a godly nurse came up with an amazing, great idea that transformed the history of medicine and she used it for the church and the glory of God and worldwide missions. (laughs) Come on, Uh, I'm telling you, it's there, It's, it's out there. And this is, the, this is the whole basis of this message this morning because there's a verse in Proverbs, it's Proverbs 22.9, and it says this, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings, and he will not stand before unknown men or ordinary men. Listen, God didn't say, Do you see a man who excels in his spiritual walk? You're you, you born again. You live for the Father, so you're going to be doing that first, Okay. It doesn't say, do you see a man who is great at at, at a bunch of little stuff? It says, do you see a man or a woman who excels in their vocation? Where are you going tomorrow morning? On the count of three, everybody tell me your job. One, two, three. Okay, do you see a person who excels in their vocation? Some of y'all ain't going to work tomorrow. I got a concern about that. (laughs) Do you see a man who excels in their earthly vocation, in what they're doing on a daily day, day day-to-day basis? He will stand before kings. That ought to get some of y'all excited about going to work tomorrow. I'm just saying. That ought to get some of you guys excited to wake up tomorrow morning and say, if I do my very best with the anointing of God on the job that I have, there's a day that I'm going to be standing before kings. And listen, this kings isn't proverbial. It's not oh a great person no you'll stand before kings. I preached uh, two Sundays ago that there was a man who got anointed with all kinds of skills and craftsmanship in gold and silver and in woodworkings and he was the one called out by Moses to design the tabernacle for the ark of the covenant of God where the very presence of God himself would come sit and speak to the whole nation of Israel. It wasn't a great spiritual man. God said, Moses, look for this man. I've anointed him in his craftsmanship with all wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in gold and silver and in woodworking. Use him to design my holy place where my presence will come down and manifest here it wasn't some great leader it wasn't one of the 12 tribes leaders it was a man who was gifted in his craft and god almighty called on him and said you design my covenant seat you design my mercy seat where my presence will come and speak to the nation of israel forever I hope that gives you hope. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings and not before ordinary men. Do you see a woman who is in the nursing field? If you will excel in your work, you will stand before kings and not before ordinary men. The problem is, do you want it bad enough? Or are you satisfied with where you're at? Because satisfied people ain't changing cultures and transforming societies satisfied people aren't making a difference. They're drawing a paycheck. And you're exchanging your life and your time, the most valuable commodity God has given you, for a dollar amount. Oh, you're destined for more than this. You may go to a job this morning, but you're not going to a job. You're going to a destiny. You're going to a place that if I excel in my work, the promise of God is I'll stand before kings. When you keep the Father first and you pray for an anointing for the job that you do, for the task at hand, I don't care if you sit behind a desk all day and you type on a computer, say, Father, give me anointed hands for the task at hand so I can begin to see things that nobody else in my accounting department sees, so I can begin to bill better than anybody else, so I can begin to collect and and make this company great amounts of money better than anybody else. God, anoint me in my craft because this isn't by mistake that I'm here. I believe it's by your hand that's been directing me in this place and God anoint me with great wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in what I'm supposed to do here because I believe this keyboard can change the world. Amen. I'm telling you, it's real. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He'll stand before kings. If we're gonna influence seven mountains, it's time that we ask for an anointing to come on our vocation. If you're in real estate. You need to ask for the favor of God and the wisdom of God to come upon your vocation and you begin to not just sell but you begin to make amazing deals for the kingdom of God and you begin to bless people in the kingdom of God and you begin to network with people like never before and you start connecting people who need touches from Jesus rather than trying to sell and buy houses and God's going to let you sell and buy more houses because you're not worried about making money you're worried about connecting this lady who's broken with this doctor who can fix it because you're the connection point and you're the networker in the kingdom of God more so than a pastor could ever be and I've met realtors like this. They're amazing. They're amazing people. Your vocation. You need to ask for an anointing to come upon you for it. If you're the manager at a restaurant, oh, Lord Jesus, you got more opportunity to bless and change and transform society than ever before. I always say this, and I'm spending way too long on this, but it's, it's valid. I miss working at a grocery store. Because it was there, I met more lost people than I could ever meet in a church. See, now my biggest struggle is I don't get to see enough lost people. I don't see the hurt and the broken and the dying the way you do, and it grieves me. I don't get to see everybody when they're at their most vulnerable state, walking into the grocery store after a horrible day's work. I don't get to see them at their vulnerable. I always see people trying to be at their very best in a church, who dress up, who put spiritual makeup on, who act like everything's okay. But when you walk into Walmart, you see people who ain't okay. When you walk into Brookshire's, you see people who ain't okay. You see it. It's your opportunity to change it. My most fun times in ministry is when I'd be carrying some old lady's groceries out. And I would just get to talk to her about Jesus. And I'd get to pray with her before I got done. And I would always ask her permission. And i said, say, can I pray with you before you go? Oh, and this one, this one amazing, amazing black lady. Oh my gosh. I prayed for her several times. And then after I had started the church, she would notice that I would come straight from my church, that when we met in the hotel, straight into work, and I wouldn't eat lunch. And I'd wait till about five in the evening before I'd ever eat that day. And she found out about this, and she wasn't gonna have none of that. She would, before she would feed her family, she would make me a big old plate of food and set it aside and wrap it in foil. And after she would feed her whole family, she would make a special trip every Sunday up to Brookshire's grocery store and hand me a plate of food and said, baby, this is just my service to the kingdom. I ran into her two days ago at the donut, not two days ago, two weeks ago at the donut shop. And tears began to stream down her face. And she said, I'll never forget what you did for me in the parking lot of Brookshire's Grocery Store. And i said, say, I'll never forget what you did for me. Because <laughs> she could bring some food. I ain't playing. <laughs> but do you see how the kingdom works? Do you see a man who excels in his work? To, one day they will stand before kings. I believe you are destined to stand before kings in every area of your life. There are people all throughout the Bible. Moses didn't try to be who he was and we talked about this a couple weeks ago. He simply used the staff that was in his hand to change the world that was around him. Joseph in the book of Genesis, he was had the uh, uh, amazing ability to steward things very well so therefore he didn't just store up enough food for a whole nation. He stored up enough food for the whole known world in Egypt and then also it rescued his family, the nation of Israel so he didn't just save two nations he saved the nation of God. He saved the Gentiles of the rest of the world so that one day Jesus Christ could come and save us all. Do you understand when you ask an anointing to come upon your gift? Esther, Queen Esther, simple little Jewish girl, the anointing of God came upon her. She didn't just stand before kings, she changed the mind of a king. See, a lot of people say, well, if I'm going to be an influencer, I must be king. No, if you're just second to the king... You'll change the mind of kings. You don't have to be king. You just need to be next to him, in front of him, and you'll change him. Daniel, the one who went into the lion's den, he would not sacrifice his integrity. He would not stop in it. There was an anointing upon him to stand firm in even the most difficult situations. And even in the most difficult situations where he got thrown into a situation that wasn't so great. (laughs) The hand of God, the anointing of God was on him. And he was pulled out and brought before the king. And the king said, we will worship his God. And this king was Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most ungodly kings in the history of the world. See, Daniel didn't have to be king. He just had to let his anointing come upon who he was. And he would change the heart of a king. See, it says, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings and not before ordinary men. And I said this in the very first message of this series. It was on Easter Sunday morning. And we must begin to understand, because what we understand, we value. What we value, we steward. What we steward, we multiply. What we multiply, we have authority over. And we talked about a different kind of fruit being produced, that the fruit is actually what's at the end of your hand. What is at the end of the hand is the fruit you produce on a daily basis. And wouldn't it be great if the anointing of God began to come upon that fruit? What we don't begin to understand is simply this, that if we're going to excel in where God has us, we must value the platform that he's given us. See, some of you hate your job. Some of you get mad every time I talk about Monday on a Sunday because it's the worst day of your week. But if you would begin to value the platform that you have, because what we understand, now that we understand that, 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 that what's at the end of our hand, God needs to anoint because that's how we bear fruit many times. And once we now that we understand it, we must begin to value because what we understand, we value. And when we value this platform, whether it be the nursing industry, whether it be a police officer, whether it be a little blonde-headed boy at the age of 16 carrying buggies back and forth to a grocery store, to a car, to a grocery store, to a car, when I began to value my platform... God began to do amazing things. And if we don't understand it, and I pray that you get the understanding that what's at the end of your hand is the fruit you're producing. If you're a CPA, if you're real estate, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, whatever, it's the fruit you're producing. What we understand, we now must value that the vocation that I have is the platform God has given me to influence one of the seven mountains and begin to change culture and impact society for years to come. We're not going to change Northeast Texas by bringing everybody into this building. Jesus didn't say when, you, when the Spirit of God comes upon you and you're empowered, draw everybody to you. He said, no, go into all the world. Yeah. See, we've got it backwards today. We're trying to get everybody into the church. No, we're trying to get everybody out of the church. Now, now, take that right. I want you to come back every Sunday to get refilled. Bring your friends, your mamas, your daddies, your aunts, your uncles, and everybody else too. Hit your plus two, two extra services every single month. Get filled up. It's not so you can stay, though. So it's you can go. What we understand, we value. We must begin to play great, place great value on our vocation. It's not because you earn a dollar; it's because it's your a platform for ministry. How you're going to affect and change culture? Listen, we got enough people that attend TWBC on a regular basis to firmly impact. Sulphur Springs, Texas and the surrounding area through our school systems, through our police and fire departments, through, through our, 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 our nursing and, and medical facilities, that it doesn't take a lot in the natural, it just takes a pathway to it that if we would say anointing of God come upon the fruit of my hands because I understand what you've given me and now I now value my platform because we're going to change culture and impact society for decades to come. Yeah. When you manage something very well, it means you're over things. You're going to be starting to get responsibilities that you didn't dream about at your work. Quit gawking at them. Quit saying, they're putting more work on me. No, it's because you're you're valuing, and so now they're giving you something to steward. Well, I should get paid more for what I do. Yeah, you should. But you're not in it for a paycheck. You're in it to change cultures and impact society. You don't think God understands how he's going to bring you increase? He's already got a pathway planned out for it. But some of us are so afraid of work, heaven forbid, we should roll up our sleeves and value the platform that he gave us. And when we get extra responsibility, we ought to rejoice because of it, because they see an anointing on your life. They see you rising above, because when you do responsibility without getting paid for it, you're the next person they're going to promote into management because you did it with a great heart and excelled in your work. And God began to use you. Begin to understand what we understand, we value. Value your platform. What we value, we steward. When you begin to steward very well, it's going it's to begin to be giving you more responsibilities. What you steward or manage well, it multiplies. There should be an anointing come upon your life to multiply. This is later in the series, okay? An apple tree doesn't make one apple. Can I get an amen? amen. It should multiply. What you multiply, you have authority over. Let's go back to value. We're just right there. What well, we understand, we value. You must begin to value your platform in this life and where God has you. Now, if you're going to write anything down of this message, I need you to write down these next six points. I'm going to go through them in the next six minutes. Okay? This is the six keys to value. The six keys to value. What you understand, you value. And if you're going to value your platform, I'm going to give you six steps, six principles that if you'll apply them, You will find yourself not only valuing, but stewarding, not only stewarding, but managing, not only managing, but multiplying, not only multiplying, but having authority over. But it's going to take these six things. And so we must begin to value our platform. And if we're going to do it, this is what's going to make it happen. This is how God's going to have you stand before kings one day. And so write these down. You must identify any distractions. Identify any distractions that are in your life. You now know that your platform and your vocation is how you produce fruit. And now that you're going to begin to value it, you must begin to identify any distractions. The Bible says this spiritually. It says, therefore, we're surrounded by such a great cloud as witnesses. Let us lay aside the weight and the sin that clings so closely to us and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. Identify distractions. Distractions. If your distraction is every time you get up to go bring paper to the, to, the, to the copy room, there's a group of people at the water cooler, and you're wanting to listen in on their business and what they're talking about that ain't none of your business because you like to know everybody's business, that's a distraction. Get out of it. If you'll spend less water cooler time, come on. Mm, somebody's like, I ain't saying amen to that. <laughs> if you'll spend less time at the water cooler and more time where God's placed you in your vocation, because you now value your platform the greatest thing the enemy wants to do is look at you and say ah oh, I know what Joel I know what will distract Joel and just throw it out there so I'm easily distracted and a lot of times it's not even the enemy you know a lot of times we got uh, we got things in our flesh that we hadn't resolved Amen. right and you just got to deal with your flesh before you're even dealing with the enemy a lot of us give the devil too much credit, and it's just you messing up still. Amen. It's just your flesh. Identify any distractions in your life. And I'm talking things that are simple, things that are great. Identify them. If Facebook's a problem on your phone at work, take it off your phone, dad dadgummit. Come on. Come on. Take it off. What is distracting you? Because one of these points is going to be key to that here in a minute. Be ruthless in refusing any responsibilities unrelated to your assignment. Be ruthless in it. There are things that you are called to do and assigned to do. And there are things that you're not. Quit trying to be somebody you're not. Be who you are and who God's called you. And excel in the platform that he's given you. Because what you begin to excel in now, I promise in five years you're not going to be in the same position. So be ruthless in uh, getting rid of anything that's distracting you. Cut it out. Get rid of it. I don't do things that I'm not gifted in. Therefore, I have people do counseling at church because it's distracting me from visionary and the calling of God and equipping pastors and calling out people's giftings. So I'm ruthless in refusing any responsibility that's going to detract from who God's calling me to be. Because listen, I'm not competing against anybody else in this world except for me and who God's called me to be. I'm not competing against other pastors around the world. I'm not competing with Gateway Church in Southlake. I'm not competing with FBC across the street. I'm not competing with anybody except for the calling of God on my life. And so I will not get distracted by competition because there is none. I will run the race marked for me. My good friend Jonathan Shibley, the president of Global Advance, says it best. Joel, you can run the race all day long, but if you finish in somebody else's lane, you're still disqualified. I'm not running somebody else's race. I'm not running in somebody else's lane. A lady like this on the conference trip that we just had said it best. What good is it if you build a ladder that reaches to the top of the building but you find yourself at the end of the day, end of the day on top of the wrong building? What happens at the end of the day when you find yourself on top of the wrong building because you got distracted by doing something that somebody else wanted you to do? Become an expert in your assignment. Become an expert. It takes 10,000 hours in any given subject to become an expert. Some of you got a great start when you went to nursing school. But it was only that. It was a great start. Some of you got a great start when you went through real estate, and that was a great start. Become an expert in your assignment. It takes 10,000 hours in any given subject to become an expert. I better get to studying. I better make sure I'm running my race. Because I may be getting places, but I'm not an expert where I want to be yet. I'm not walking in the fullness of all that God's called me to be yet. Become an expert in your assignment, whatever it is, your vocation. This is the one Joel struggles with the most. Avoid any conversations with those who disrespect your assignment. Avoid any conversation with those who disrespect your assignment. That's not my problem. People are going to ask you at work, why are you working so hard? Why are you trying to be somebody you're not? Why are you trying to do all this stuff? Why are you making us look bad? Why are you doing all this stuff? Shut your mouth and walk on. Don't even listen to distractions. You, ain't, you don't owe them an answer. You owe your boss eight full hours. Don't get distracted by people who are conversating and disrespecting your work ethic and your assignment. But here's the conversations that I struggle with the most. It's not the conversations between me and somebody else. It's the conversations between me and my head. It's when I start achieving and doing what God has called me to do and my head gets in the way. It says, you know you're really not qualified. You know, you're really not, uh, you're, you're really not all that. You really you got you gotta study more, you gotta do more. You know, you really probably shouldn't take that step of faith. It's the conversations up here that are more destructive than the conversations out here. Because the conversations out here will happen because you haven't shut up conversations in here. And when somebody says, Why are you working so hard and you hadn't shut your mind up about why you're working so hard, you're gonna step into agreement with them instead of stepping into agreement with the Father because you're realizing that if I'm gonna do this thing, it's gonna take me change. It's going to take me being different. I'm changing cultures and societies. Listen, Joel has conversations with himself. And don't leave here thinking, dang, he's weird. No, you have him in your head too. You have them in your head too. When you get in a fight with somebody and you're driving home, I should have said this and I should have said that. If that happens again, I'm going to just tell him how I feel. No, you ain't or you had already did it. So shut up the conversations that don't mean anything and are distracting and tearing you down. Get in the presence of God and let his glory begin to fill your life and change happens. Prepare for adversity. Ain't nobody going to understand you. So who cares? I had people ostracize me, talk bad about me, tell me I was stupid to my face when I quit the the grocery company and started a church. And I've had Christian people you know, God will understand if you, just, if, if you just do church on the side. I don't do church on the side. I don't do my calling on the side. God, You know, God will understand. Yeah, God will understand. But the person that's on the other side of my obedience that I didn't reach and is going to hell because my calling was just a part of me and not all of me. What do I say to them when I'm in heaven and they're burning in hell one day? Because their salvation is on the other side of my obedience. You're not a nurse or a real estate person or a truck driver or or a fireman. Somebody's soul is on the other side of your obedience. And the fruit you produce in that accounting office, it's not so somebody gets a good tax return. It's so somebody gets born again. And you must prepare for adversity. Nobody's going to understand. Who cares? Jesus said, they didn't like me. They're not going to like you. But you got a body here at TWBC that absolutely is in love with you, that wants the very best for you, and God's going to use you in a mighty way. I'm going to wrap this up quick. Disconnect from relationships that don't celebrate your value, your assignment, your value. Disconnect from them. Your party and friends on Saturday night hindering you from worship on Sunday, n- Sunday morning disconnect. It's not that you're better than them. It's not that you're more godly than them. It's you understand your assignment and what you understand you value. What you value means you place great worth on it. And so my worship on Sunday morning is worth a lot more than partying my friends at the club on Saturday night. Amen. Come on. Amen. It's not that I'm better than them. It's not that I'm holier than them. It's just I place value on different things than they place value on. Amen. Listen, when you walk in this room, I'm not better than you. But because I've placed value on different areas, our our life outcomes have become different. And so I want you to have the life outcome that God desires for you to have by placing great value on who you are and what you're called to do. And when you understand that, you'll value it and place great worth on it, and it'll make you have different decisions. And God will change your life. And so disconnect from those relationships. Worship team, come as I close with this scripture. There's a promise at the end of this verse that you will stand before kings. More importantly, one day, you're going to be standing before the king. And I want you to listen to this verse that I'm about to read. Because at the end of your days, some of you 50 years from now, some of you 70 years from now, some of you maybe just a little less. At the end of your days, when you look back on the fullness of your life, Oh, there's a verse of scripture that King Solomon that was wrote about him that 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 I want to be able to say. And it's this, and it's 1 Kings verses chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all that Solomon desired, all that was in his heart is what that means to build, the Lord appeared to him. And he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built, putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. You know, when I... Think about destiny, legacy, all those big words that get thrown out there way too much and we don't fully understand. And if I could summarize it in one phrase, it would be like this At the end of my days, I want to look back on everything God's done around the world, changing cultures and society. And I want to look up to Him and say, Father, my heart is full. I did all that was in my heart to be desired. I helped people. I changed lives. I brought people to their destiny. I did all that was in my heart to do. And I want to say my heart is full. And you know what I want God's response to be? Joel, I see all that you've done. And I noticed everything that you did. And for everything that you've done, I will not take my eyes off them. And my heart and my eyes will be there forever. That means the people who I touched on my first mission trip in Brazil. Or the last one in Africa. Or the little boy's hands that I prayed over at a soccer game that I told you about two weeks ago. At the end of my days, no matter what it's been around the world or on a soccer field locally, I want to say, Father, my heart is full And God sees every act of faith that I ever did and said, Joel, my heart and my eyes are going to be there forever. I can't express to you the depth that that is in my soul. That when you get done with your day in the accounting office, real estate market, grocery store, restaurant, that every day you end your day saying, God, I did all that was in my heart to do today. And God says, My eyes are going to rest on Chili's in Sulphur Springs. My eyes are going to rest on the Optical Clinic in Sulphur Springs. My eyes are going to rest on that grocery store because there was a man of faith who gave his life in that moment today, and somebody's salvation is just on the other side of that obedience. So you're not you're not just homeschooling your kids. You're setting up leaders of nations. You're not just teaching kids at a public school. You're setting up destinies to change cultures and societies. And all those of you who teach children, whether it be in children's church or schools or homeschooling, you have the world's future in your hands. So at the end of the day, at the end of this morning's messages, when second service is done, I want to say this. God, my heart is full because I said everything in my heart that I desired to say. And I believe God's eyes are going to rest on you forever if you let what he said impact you today. Would you stand with me this morning? Ministers, come.